Chapter 36 Year 883 PXF Late Summer Gwen's words struck Thorne speechless. He tried to grasp all the information tied up in her words, but it became a jumble in his head. He was already upset about Gwen's stance on the harvest, but all of this about the Black Court, the Raven Judge being his past self and having the Vermilion Blade, was too much to process all at once. Thorn stood up silently and descended the porch steps into the yard. Pouring out his cider that had gone warm, he walked out of the lantern light of the main house and into the orchard. The night was warm, the fireflies performing their hypnotic dance among the branches laden with tiny apples, promising an abundant harvest once autumn arrived. Thorn walked without direction between the rows of apple trees, drawing his hand across their trunks as he passed. So many of them had been restored to vitality by his own hand, and the connection he felt to them was real. He understood Gwen's fear. She had cared for these trees and this land for over thirty years, through times of bounty and hardship. How could he ask her to risk everything she had left in her life, especially when he had an ulterior motive? Thorn came to the familiar tree in the center of the orchard near the pond. Its crown, even after his copious pruning, still stood proud above all the other trees surrounding it. He sat beneath it, back leaning against its wide trunk, and looked up through its branches at the stars and fireflies above him. What was he supposed to do? He had healed the land, at least this small part of it, but now he would have to wager it against the power of the Vermilion Blade and this Raven Judge to save it. Could he ask Gwen to stand with him in this? More importantly, would she if she knew who he truly was? Forearms on knees, Thorn looked out into the rows of trees filling his vision. He tried to summon some ghost or memory of his past to guide him at this moment, but nothing materialized. This was his decision a choice about the man he was going to be. And while the experiences of the man he was were a part of him, this moment was Thorn's, and his alone. Returning from the orchard, Thorn walked into the farmhouse kitchen, the door still open wide to catch the cool night air after the heat of the late summer afternoon. Gwen, with furrowed brow, was leaning against the counter, gazing into the empty water basin, lost in her thoughts. She didn't react to Thorn's entrance, but by the slight tensing of her shoulders, Thorn could tell she knew he was there. The Raven Judge is not Talon Corvermain. Thorn paused and took a deep breath. I know he's not because I am, or more accurately, was. Thorn's voice cut the silence like one of Gwen's gunshots. Gwen's hand found the handle of a carving knife sitting on the counter next to her on a drying towel, and when she raised her eyes, it was not to look at Thorn, but to the rifle leaning against the door jamb behind him. Thorn raised his hands to his sides, careful not to look as though he was going for his sickle, whose hilt was perched on his shoulder, as he tried to explain himself. I have not been plaguing this land for the last decade. I have indeed been in Old Stone, and while Talon... Thorn paused unfamiliar with claiming Talon's life, but needing to in this moment. While I did not follow Dukasul's command and broke my oath to him, it was because I uncovered my father's plot for the secession and coup. 
I just discovered it far too late to stop it. Get out! Gwen spat the words at Talon through clenched teeth. Thorn had to continue. You are right. The Red Glaive is indeed damned. It is why I look the way I do. I am cursed by it. Gwen advanced on him with the knife, and he backed away and through the open door. Gwen grabbed the rifle as she followed him outside, and aimed it not at his chest, but right between the eyes. I knew you were trouble, but I didn't know your mind was also broken, she shouted as Thorn stumbled backward down the porch stairs. Gwen, listen. Riken and I helped you prune the trees on Hearth's Rest thirty years ago so you wouldn't tell anyone we stole a barrel of apples. You are the person who taught me how to take care of the trees. This is real. Kasfarian broke me away from my family's pact with darkness and the Vermilion Blade to let me have a new life as Thorn. But it can't be over until the glaive is contained. They sent me to do that, and I need a place where the land is healed, and here we have done that. Thorn was now pleading. I don't care, and I don't believe in gods anymore, Gwen said dismissively. I warned you I would shoot you myself when your trouble came to visit, and I don't ever lie. Gwen's eye lowered to the sight of the rifle, and her finger began to tighten on the trigger. Time seemed to slow as Thorn's sickle fell from its perch on his shoulder, freeing itself in a way it had never done before. Even Gwen's trained eye followed its fall, perhaps worried it was some trick or magic that posed a threat to which she would need to react. As the sickle dropped, it left a trail of tiny blossoms that floated like embers out into the orchard on the warm night air. Then the sickle hit the ground blade first and slid into it up to the hilt in a way that should not have been possible. The tiny tree, planted firmly in the soil, its branches now bare of flowers, began to make a soft humming noise. Thorn, his back to the orchard, only saw Gwen's eyes widen at first. He turned, and spreading across the canopy of the orchard, he saw hundreds and then thousands of blossoms, the color of moonlight, blooming on the trees. Gwen's rifle lowered to her side, and she began walking toward the miracle happening before her. Thorn, enraptured as well, joined her, walking the rows of the orchard under the moonlight blossoms. Turning around with arms outstretched and looking into the branches, they could see a flower blooming for every one of the tiny apples yet to ripen, the blooms infusing the fruit with their light. As they ventured deeper into the acres of trees, the hum that had first started at the sickle now seemed to be in front of them. Thorn felt he knew its source and started heading toward the center of the orchard. Beside him, Gwen paused. Thorn had noticed she often bypassed the center tree by happenstance, but now he realized there must be more of a reason behind it. Thorn waited for Gwen to decide whether to come or not, and as he waited, what had been the single tone of the humming became a musical note and then a tune. Gwen raised a shaky hand to her mouth in recognition of the song, and her eyes began to brim with moisture. Even that small act was more tender emotion than Thorn had ever witnessed from her, so he held out his hand and offered to guide her ahead. Gwen's eyes went from his outstretched hand to his face, and then up to her trees glowing with ethereal blossoms, and with a slight nod, 
she grabbed Thorne's hand. When they arrived at the grand tree, standing reverently in the center of the orchard, bathed in silvery light, a figure made of moonlight and fireflies was waiting there. Thorne's heart leapt, thinking it must be Riken. But as the figure turned to them, he recognized neither the face nor the eyes. Gwen's sharp intake of breath immediately informed Thorne of who it must be. Gwen dropped Thorne's hand and walked the rest of the way alone. The ghost or apparition or memory made manifest smiled as she approached, and Thorne could hear Gwen's racking sobs as she got closer. Thorne backed away, knowing that this miracle was not for him, but for another soul desperately needing healing. Thorne gave Gwen all the time she needed. He strolled the orchard as the moonlight blossoms faded, the trees slowly drinking in their magic. It was nearly two hours before Gwen caught up to Thorne where he had settled, leaning against one of the trees he had pruned the first day. He looked to her with the unspoken question of if she was okay. Gwen nodded and, with a sniff, added, He's in a good place. Gwen had pulled the chain she wore around her neck out of her tunic, and Thorne saw the two wedding bands that hung there. She let her hand clutch them to her heart for a moment, before tucking them back inside her shirt, and attempted to smile at Thorne. Thorne went to her and embraced her tightly, slowly swaying as Riken and later Ramed had done for him when he needed comfort. There was one last bout of tears, and then a long sigh and sniff. Then, after a pause, she spoke into Thorne's shoulder. The Raven Judge is coming for you. He can feel where you are. Thorne immediately replied, I'll leave now, then. It is too much to risk all this. In Thorne's mind, there was no question about his decision, even if it meant he would be at a disadvantage. No, I need you to stay here. I want you to stay. Gwen now looked up into Thorne's eyes. You are the closest thing I have to family now, and family stands together to protect their home. The two walked slowly, side by side, back to the farmhouse, the light from the moonlight blossoms no brighter than a fading memory. As they exited the rows of trees, Thorne turned and looked back at the orchard stretching out before him, trying to etch the scene in his mind, just in case. Gwen patted his arm, and Thorne reached down and pulled the sickle from the earth. And as he did so, the sickle opened his senses to the world around him. The orchard shone like a beacon, as did he, as both a call and a challenge that the vermilion blade would never leave unanswered. Hooking the sickle under his arm, tree on his shoulder as had become his custom, Thorne looked to Gwen, saying, I don't know how long we have, but the raven judge and the blade will be here soon, certainly by nightfall on the morrow. Thorne turned Gwen toward him, holding both her shoulders and gently looking her in the eye. The Vermilion Blade can counter any mundane weapon. Your guns alone will be useless. The Raven Judge will know that. One of the reasons I believe he will come so soon is because I suspect through the Vermilion Blade, he also knows I can enchant but a single bullet in that time. So you will have one shot. But listen, I once wielded the blade, and it will deflect even magical ammunition unless at its weakest. Thorn paused to ensure she heard his next words. 
You cannot waste your shot to save me if I fall. The bullet will keep its enchantment even beyond my death, so you must run if I am defeated. Gwen shook her head. I won't run. No. Thorn squeezed her by the shoulders, his thumb digging into her flesh. You have to. If I fall, the Vermilion Blade will gain the power locked inside me and grow even stronger. You will be Elyon's only hope of stopping the judge. Thorn's eyes grew wide. Promise me. When there was no answer, Promise me. Gwen's eyes closed, and a tear fell across her cheek to the ground. She whispered, I promise. Thorn pulled her in and hugged her for the second time that evening. The reassuring words he wanted to say got caught in his throat. Thorn didn't want any of the last things he told her to be lies. Thorn finally broke the embrace and held his hand out to Gwen, his eyes focused on the rifle. She opened the chamber and handed him the single bullet. Wrapping his fingers around the ammunition, he nodded with gratitude and furrowed brow, turning to return to the shed to begin his enchanting. Thorn felt Gwen's eyes on him as he went, then heard the farmhouse door close and its latches being thrown. Thorn came awake to the sound of a knocking on wood. In the haze between dreaming and awake, he imagined he was in his old rooms at the estate, and it was the commander knocking on his door for training. He then jumped to alertness, his hand grabbing the sickle by the side of the pallets he slept on in the loft of the orchard's workshed. The smell of coffee filled the workshed. Sunlight was streaming through the cracks in the structure's siding and Gwen stood across the space he had used as rooms with a steaming mug in her hand. I thought you might have been up late, and when you didn't appear in the yard earlier, I figured I would let you sleep. It is getting close to noon, though, and I'm not ashamed to admit I am getting jumpy, she said, offering the mug. Thorn had been up until almost dawn, but the bullet was complete. He sat up and walked to Gwen, grabbing the mug his bare feet carefully padding across the hard-packed earth, covered in sawdust from their work on the roof, causing him to step gingerly to get to her. His heart broke a bit, as his mind came awake and registered the similarities of his actions to his mornings with Riken a lifetime ago. Gwen must have seen the look on Thorn's face. She gently said, Memories are the most terrible blessings, aren't they? Thorn just nodded his mug no longer smelling of coffee, but of spiced tea and sweet cream. After a gulp from the mug, Thorn went over to a small, rune-covered stone tablet and pulled the single bullet from its center. He handed it to Gwen, and she slid it into the chamber, instantly becoming more relieved. Then he caught her eye and looked at her sternly. Remember. She nodded. I promise. They didn't know how long they would have to wait, or if the raven judge would come with the black court or alone, so they got into position as soon as they were ready. There was no real need for discussion, because there was little choice about where they should be. Gwen went up to the upper floor of the farmhouse to the boarded-up window with her rifle, and Thorn remained on the ground with the orchard at his back. Thorn thought back over Talon's battles. When Talon had fought devils and raiders and all number of beasts throughout his life, he wore full armor and the vermilion blade on his back. If Talon saw Thorn as he prepared to fight the Raven Judge, he would have laughed. A twenty-five-year-old kid wearing a cloth tunic, 
calfskin leathers, and working boots, with a sickle in one hand and a ball-peen hammer in the other. Thorn did get some comfort from the fact that under his tunic was the chainmail gifted him by some different world's silver scribe, and his weapon was Kasfarian's sickle. But who knew what this raven judge might have in addition to the vermilion blade, which was dangerous enough alone to make Thorn worry. Thorn's only other assets were the orchard, which, other than his plan to lure the judge into it, he didn't know how much more it might help, and a single bullet from Gwen if she got the opportunity. Thorn mentally reminded himself that Gwen would only have a shot if he could get the raven judge on the single row of the orchard that lined up with the window she was in. He knew, more likely than not, that shot would never come. They waited through the afternoon. Sweat dripped off Thorn's brow as the day dragged on, and before his thirst made him delusional, he ran inside to slam down some water and wet his neck. Thorn returned back to his watch as quickly as he could so Gwen could do the same. As the sun dipped below the horizon and the shadows overtook the land, Thorn wondered if he had it wrong. Perhaps the Raven Judge would take time to plan a strategic assault. Perhaps he had even greater control over the Vermilion Blade's egocentric will than Talon ever had. Then, as if summoned by the thought, without warning, a shadow near the workshed seemed to coalesce into substance, and a haunted voice called out, Talon Corvermain, we have come to reclaim what is rightfully ours. The Raven Judge had arrived.